Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1. So, we have been working our way through this incredible, historic, but also very small New Testament epistle, four chapters long, written to a, a seemingly insignificant church in a seemingly insignificant city, the city of Coloss, which sort of fade away um, from uh, history. Um, it's not really being anything that we would remember uh, them for, but Paul writes this letter to this new church plant there in Colossia, and he has, as we've been following his thread, he has been, for the most part, quite positive. And we've, we've been saying this, that as we've gone through this book, we're, we're taking the scenic route through this epistle. Um, it's four chapters long, but we have certainly been in it for longer than four weeks. Um, and we're looking in depth at the riches. We're, we're kind of excavating and looking to mine and really see all that God has for us in this book. And as we've followed the thread, we've seen Paul affirm this church as being a community of faith, hope, and love. It's a good thing to hear from the Apostle Paul. We see Paul then go on to express some of his prayer requests for this church, the things he's praying. And we also saw that he prayed those prayer requests with a sense of thanksgiving to God for all that God has done. We then uh, did a world record eight verses in one weekend. And we looked specifically at the most important question that we believe anyone could ever ask, and it's this question that Paul answers, who was Jesus Christ? As Paul from verses 15 through 23 gives what's called a Christology, a declaration of who Jesus is. And then last week was so thankful to hear from Kyle, who, were, who was here, filled in and shared the word of God and was reminding us of our hope in our times of suffering. Um, but there is a subtle, abrupt shift that now is going to happen in the book of Colossians. Let's remember, Paul is writing this letter from a jail cell. He's not, he doesn't have a hot tea. He's not looking out a rainy window in a recliner with the game on, just kind of pen palling away, okay, with the AC set right where he wants. There he, Paul is writing from a Roman prison, I don't even want to say cell because of what we think of, a Roman prison dump. And, and so it's as if Paul's like, let's get down to business, okay? I'm writing this from a prison cell. There is a true, deeper purpose for why Paul is writing this letter, certainly to affirm this church, certainly to encourage this church and pray for this church, but there is some business that Paul is seeking to go through with this church because there are some significant issues that are stunting this church's spiritual growth. And so Paul, he, he sort of builds this bridge that we're going to walk across today. Paul builds this bridge from chapter 1 into chapter 2. And let's remember, um, when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapters and verses. Just like when you write text messages, you don't write your text messages with chapters and verses. Maybe you do. That's pretty cool, actually, if you do that. Chapter 1, hey. Okay. Verse 2, how's it going? All right. When this was written, this is freehand. As Paul puts the quill to the page, he's writing as the Spirit inspires him to write these words. And 
there's this bridge that he builds in chapters 1 through 2, and it's the bridge, let me say this, the bridge that Paul builds here is now Paul talking about his ministry. It's the bridge of Paul's ministry, his calling, his purpose, his divinely appointed service to God. And so we see a couple of references to that. Can I just show you so we can be recapped as to where we are in the word here? Paul says in verse 23, look at this, I, at the end of 23, I, Paul, of which I, Paul, became a minister, became a minister. And then in verse 25, of of which I became a minister, according to the stewardship from God. Paul is describing now his calling, because he's got a calling for this church that goes deeper than just, you guys are doing pretty awesome. He's got a purpose to serve them in a ministry way. So if you're taking notes, I want to give you a title of my message today. As we get into this section of scripture, the title of my sermon today is Model Ministry. Model Ministry. And so we're going to be looking here in Colossians 1, uh, verses 28 through chapter 2, verse 1, at Paul's model ministry. And my prayer today is that we would each receive, kind of like we were singing, that new wine, that fresh outpouring. My prayer today is that we each receive a fresh reminder of each of our own call to ministry. So let's pray before we get into God's word today. Lord, we thank you. Thank you. Your word says that we come into your gates with thanksgiving. We come to you, God, not with a list of things we need to do for you, Nor do we come to you, God, with a list of things that we expect you to do for us. We come to you this morning with a list of things that you've already done. And we say thank you. And so, God, as we come to you in that posture today, we pray that you would use your word as a tool to further make us what we were singing, a vessel, God. Help us be those that are available to your purpose and your plan for each one of our lives. God, I pray that also in the miraculous way that you do, that you would enable us to, by your grace, hear from your spirit today and not Andrew. I pray for me, God, to just become really low and almost invisible. Get me, just get me out of the way, God, so that you can speak clearly to each person here um, in the way that only you can. So we invite your voice to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So question this morning we'll start with is this, um, what comes to mind when you hear the word ministry? What comes to your mind when you hear the, mer- the word ministry, some word association this morning? Is it maybe a bedside counselor praying with someone, counseling someone as they are maybe facing their last few days? Ministry, is it a 501 C3 nonprofit corporation that's existing to accomplish the things of ministry, saving those who are lost or rescuing those who are bound or bringing justice to those who are oppressed. Ministry. What comes to mind when you hear the word ministry? Or here's a better question Who comes to mind? Who comes to mind when you hear the word ministry? What, what do they look like? Ministry. 
mean, oh, a minister, ministry. I know who comes to mind. You, Andrew, you actually, you're doing ministry right now, okay? And maybe for you, that's it. What comes to mind when you hear the word ministry is a position, a person, a pastor, preaching God's word or, or living within the church walls in a certain vocation, ministry. Who comes to mind? And then here's my last question. Do you think of yourself? Do you associate ministry with your life? If not, uh, I want to remind you of something today that we see from God's word. It's the simple truth that I want to encourage us with again today, and it's this. You are called to ministry. You are called to ministry. Now, before we kind of get confused here, let's understand there is in the Bible, I don't mean to water everything down in a confusing way. The Bible teaches us, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 3, that there are those who God has specifically, uniquely, not most, but a few that God has called to what we could call maybe a capital M ministry. Elders, pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers, Ephesians 4 says. That he gave gifts to all, but he gave some to a capital M ministry. That, that their job is, is, in a sense, to be there to serve and lead the flock as they serve God. There is such thing as being called to ministry, okay? What Paul is talking about here in Colossians 1, I mean, if we could be real, what he's talking about is his apostleship a unique capital M ministry that he received where in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I, I just praise God and I thank him. Paul, this amazing verse, he goes, because he counted me faithful, placing me in the ministry. Like that's what I, I wake up every day and I go, God, thank you. I don't know why and I don't know how, but for some reason you counted me faithful in your grace and your love and you called me to plant soulless church it's a work of your grace so i just thank you god because i definitely didn't do enough good things to get here there is such thing as a call to ministry some of you in this room maybe you have sensed that call a call to that kind of ministry to preach and to teach and to lead maybe plant a church maybe to be a pastor or an elder in a local flock but one of the biggest mistakes and i think blunders that we have today in the church is we have a select group of people that we expect to do it all. We, we kind of look at church like the Cleveland Cavaliers. Not so much like the Golden State Warriors, where every person off the bench has a shot they could make, a block that they could, that they could take a role that they could play. A lot of times it's just kind of like, well, the pastor's LeBron. And he puts the team on his back, hopefully wins a game seven tonight. We'll see. And a lot of times we can look that way, and we look at church and ministry as the thing that I come to, like a basketball game on a Sunday morning where I kind of look out and, and I watch and I judge and I go, all right, all right, LeBron, let's see your, let's see your exegetical dunking skills. Let's see you slam it. Let's see you score it. Let's see you get a new record. And that's how we could think of ministry. But listen, when God thinks of ministry, he thinks of you. He thinks of his body, of which, listen, the pastor is not the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the head of the church who fills all. And in all, he doesn't just fill the pastor. He has called you 
to ministry. You go, Andrew, I, that sounds good, but I need some more convincing, all right? I need some verses. Now, let me give you one. I love this verse about every member called to ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has, that and is so important, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is, this is what makes the grace of God amazing. Not only would God let us come to him, but God brings us to himself. He reconciles us to himself, and then in his grace, he says, now go out and serve me. That's amazing. He has reconciled us to him, and then he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul goes on to say, so that we, everywhere we go, he says, we're ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. To those in our workplace, to those in our family, to those in our neighborhood, as though God were saying through me, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. God has made a way for you to be right with him through Jesus. I've been made right with Jesus, and now I'm called to ministry. And I'm called to bring as many as possible to get to know the love of God in Jesus. Ministry. Now, maybe right now you're going, not enough. And you look at 2 Corinthians 5 and you say, I think Paul's talking about the apostles, right? I, I, when I look at the context here, Paul's saying us. Maybe he's talking about like him and Timothy. And so I'll remind you that you may be right. In Ephesians 4, like I said, it does describe a certain role in the church of a calling to a capital M ministry. But do you know what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11? about these ministers. Here's what it says. I want to read this to you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. I'm such a millennial with my phone notes. Check this out. It says, and he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. He did. He did do that. Why? Verse 12 says, check this out, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the, of, let's try again, of the, of the ministry. The role of the pastor is not to be LeBron and hog the ministry. The role of the pastor is to be more like a point guard who sets up the assist for the body to do the ministry. My calling at Soulless Church is by God's grace in some way to help equip our flock to fulfill their ministry. You have a ministry to fulfill. That's the words of Paul. Did you know this? To, to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, we don't know. At this state in Paul's life, how many, um, how much longer he has left? Um, we, we don't know if it's minutes, hours, days. It's certainly not, from when you read, it's certainly not weeks or months or years. And Paul on his deathbed, writing his final last words to his disciple and protege, Timothy, he encourages Timothy, Timothy, if there's one thing I can let you go, as I have, Paul says, I've finished my race, Paul says. I've kept my faith. I've done the thing that God has put me on this earth to do. Ephesians 2.10, for God has, listen, he has called us his workmanship, and he has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared before I even thought of him. He's prepared these good works for, for my life. Why did he do that? So that I could walk in them. And Paul looks at his life and he goes, listen, I didn't do it perfectly. But he says, I've, I've finished the race. And his exhortation and encouragement to a young pastor like Timothy, maybe around my age, around 30 years old, is this. Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Do the thing that God has called you to do. 
Live your life for the purpose that God has assigned to your life. Fulfill your ministry. Maybe you just can evaluate your own life today and ask yourself this question. Am I fulfilling my ministry? Am I walking in the good things God has prepared for my life? You see, the big idea here is this. It's not a question of if you're called to ministry. It's not a question. You're called to ministry. The question is, have you heard it? Have you heard the call? Have you received the call? Are you fulfilling your ministry? Are you saying, have you come to the place where you, like Isaiah, have said, here am I, Lord. Here am I, God. Not, not like, here I am, God, in case you didn't know where I was locationally. You know, I turned my find friends location thing on. Here I am, God. That's not what that means. God knows where you are. It's an act of surrender, right? Here, like giving someone something. Here, here I am, God. Use me. Send me. Use me to fulfill the calling you have on my life. Now, I'll say it again. You're called to ministry if you didn't get it the first time. But now, as we move on, Here's the reality, though, when it comes to ministry. Um, the, the beauty of, of Paul telling Timothy to fulfill his ministry, I think, is in this middle word, your ministry, right? Significant four-letter word. Because only you can fulfill your ministry. And right now you're thinking, oh, i got to fulfill ministry like that. That's not your ministry. That's their ministry. you got to fulfill your ministry. And that's between you and Jesus to figure out what that looks like as a single stay-at-home mom or as a stay-at-home mom or as a, as a banker, as an accountant, as a salesman, as a student. It's finding that your ministry. Um, and the beauty of this is that, uh, you know, God is not bound to one style and person of ministry. That's why we, we love to be a bit more open about what the church should look like. Okay? Not every church in Boca Raton should look like Soulless Church. Thank God. Because if, if, if every church in the world looked like Solus Church, we would only reach the people we're reaching. And there'd be a handful of people, we wouldn't speak their language, and, well, it wouldn't be our ministry. And so what is your ministry? Now, the beauty of this is that there's an expression to it, but here's something I've, I've found. I, I believe this. I believe that every ministry needs a model. Needs a model. Maybe not so much for, like, the how. Like, I'm not talking about, like, you know, if you're 50 and God's calling you to be a youth pastor, you don't got to go get a goatee, you know, now and wear a backwards hat and get your vans. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the form, right? We don't want to be, here's the thing, we don't want to be David wearing Saul's armor, right? All right, I'm going to try ministry now. No, no, no. But when we talk about a model, we're talking about kind of the essentials, the core, the DNA, the makeup of a ministry. And this is kind of a hot topic today, by the way, in, in uh, the church world, like models for ministry. And everybody's looking for, everybody's people are making money, actually, selling the silver bullet of ministry. You know, two, over 2,000 years of church history, and we found the model. The early church, they were close. It took 2018, right? And there's conferences, and there's books, and there's teachings, and there's podcasts. And let me, before I sound like too much of a critic, like, don't get me wrong, okay? We want to be learners, and, 
And as a church, we, we need to be available to some new models of ministry. It, it's been said, listen, if you want to reach people who no one's reaching, you got to do things that no one's doing. It's true. There, there's a sense in which we could stick to the old model and, and end up with the same results. So there's a sense in which we want to learn. We want to be available to a new wine that God would want to breathe in here to, to freshen up our, our flavor. But at the end of the day, can I remind us of something? At the end of the day, as a church, despite our form, our model should always be the same. Why? Because Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And he doesn't change. And, and so that's why as a church, listen, yeah, we're, it's 2018. And yeah, you know, maybe we got we to gotta put on some skinny jeans. Maybe we got to change the music tone a little bit. I'm working on the skinny jean thing, okay? Maybe... Maybe there's a different form, but at the end of the day, not at the abandonment of the model of the ministry of God's word. The unchanging truth, the timeless truths. Timeless. You know what that means? That it's timeless. When, when something's timeless, it's always timely. As unpopular as may be, the methods and the mode and the model of God's word, listen, it's still God's model for ministry. And so let's look at Paul for a second, okay? Let's, look at, let's get into some verses here, okay? As we get into Colossians 1, I think what we have from Paul is a good model for ministry. Whatever your expression may be, whatever your form may be, whatever the your is for your ministry, here are some things that um, we all should share with our model of ministry. Here's the first thing. If you're taking note number one, the first thing we see is that Paul had, with his model of ministry, Paul had a ministry primarily with a message. He had a ministry with a message. As he is describing his ministry here in Colossians chapter 1 and describing the glory of, in verse 27 of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is, look at this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look what he says in verse 28. He says, this Jesus, Christ, he says, him we preach. Colossians 1, 28. Him we preach. Paul, what was your message? Jesus. Him we preach. Let's remind ourselves that as God's people, the central thrust and power and calling of our ministry is not our acts and our deeds and our service. It's a message. And this is interesting, this word proclaim, him we preach, it means to proclaim, or in other words, it means to announce. This is our calling. As Christians, we're not those that are going around giving advice. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is not advice. Ten ways to a better life. Christianity, oh, here's five ways to fix this. Five, now, timeless truths. Read Proverbs. You'll fix some things. But the gospel is not advice that we share. The gospel is an announcement that we proclaim. It's news that we share. It's an announcement. Not what you need to do, but announcement of what Jesus has done. We preach Christ. Paul says that's what we preach. Our ministry has a message. I love how he says it here in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He says, for we do not, and this is the way he says this, we don't preach ourselves. But Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. Here's a great way to really narrow in on your life and your message. Is it Jesus? If not, what is it? It seems like Paul says there's kind of two options. You're either preaching Jesus or you're preaching yourself. 
I got to be careful. Every time that I get into the word of God to prepare a sermon here on Sunday morning, my goal is to make sure I'm not preaching myself. Preaching my perspective, my bend. Ooh, that's kind of a cool idea. Or, or preaching this, oh, this would fix. Jesus Christ, Paul says, and him crucified. We don't preach ourselves, Paul says. Jesus, he's the message. Jesus is the message. Your ministry has a message, and that ministry, uh, that message is Jesus. It's not ourselves. It's not our own goodness and our glory. That's not our message. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I'm trying out church, what's the Christian message? It's not that we're awesome. It's not that the people in this room have it all figured out and their lives are all cleaned up and all neat and in order and the people out there, they're not. No. It's not ourselves. It's not our own glory and our own goodness, our own morality. That's not, the message of the gospel is not a moral standard. That's a part of it, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and modify behaviors of all nations. Make people look like this. Make people conform to your set of morality and goodness. Our message is not morality. Our message can't also, it can't be our own agenda. And our hobby horses. A lot of times our message is a political hobby horse dressed up in Jesus. Our message is Jesus, guys. Not our hobby horses. Not, oh, here's my cultural hot take. Let me just sprinkle some Jesus on that so I feel good about it. Okay. It's not confusing. It's not complicated. Our message is simple. Our message is Jesus. We preach Christ. We preach Jesus. We preach Christ, the incarnate God in the flesh who lived a sinless life that no one else lived so that he could fulfill the righteousness of God. And we preach this Christ who willingly laid down his life on a cross for claiming to be God. He died upon a cross, and upon that cross, all of the sin of humanity was placed on him. And on that cross, he was punished. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on the behalf of sinners like us, right? Good news. And this Jesus who bore our sin on the cross, he died. He was buried. He was really dead. Not kind of dead, maybe dead, sort of dead, fully dead. Three days in the grave, three days later, he overcome the greatest enemy we have, which is death. The thing haunting each and every one of us. The thing that's actually the, the root of our separation from God. And Jesus conquered death, and Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father, and Jesus right now says, whoever calls on my name, you can be saved. If you look to me, you'll find the thing you're missing. If you look to me, you'll find forgiveness. If you look to me, you'll find a justification. You'll find a purpose. The list goes on and on and on. But listen, there is no list without the message of Jesus. We preach Jesus. We, we preach Christ. Not our hobby horse. Not our goodness. Not our glory. Not moral conformity. Why? Answer. Because it's the most important news. <laughs> At the end of the day, it, nothing else matters more than our message. Your own political hot take doesn't matter more than Jesus. Sorry. Your, your own passion and hobby horse, it's Jesus. There's nothing more important. In fact, the Bible says it this way, that all flesh is grass. And all man, like the flower and their opinions, they're going to fade away. But the word of God's going to endure forever. 
So here's, here's the thing. Do you want to spend your life wasting your words on things that are going to fade away? Or do you want to use your life, or God to use your life, to proclaim a message that's going to endure forever? To proclaim what heaven is always, heaven's going to be reporting this good news for all of eternity. We want to get on that train, proclaiming God's good news. And D.A. Carson, who's a, in many ways a scholar, scholar, a theologian of scripture, the way that he expressed the importance of the gospel was, was this way. I love this. He said this. In his book, A Call to Spiritual uh, Reformation, Priorities from Paul and His Prayers, he says, If our greatest need was financial, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need was entertainment, God would have said, sent an entertainer, an artist, a comedian. If our greatest need was political, hear me now, God would have sent a politician. What did the Jews want Jesus to be? What are, the, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Not your greatest need. If our greatest need was health, our physical well-being, if that was our truly greatest need, as some theology actually can contort, God would have sent us a physical doctor. But because our greatest need was forgiveness, God sent a Savior. Because our greatest need is the forgiveness of my sins, God, listen, here's the good news of this, God has provided for each one of our greatest need. Isn't that amazing? You, listen, come on, I know we got needs. I know right now you're like, yeah, it's a big, but I got some others too, like bills. I need to pay those. We got to eat. We have needs. A loved one that we want to see be healed, a, a problem that we're facing, but the way that Paul communicates it to Christians in Romans 8 is, listen, if God has provided Jesus the greatest provision for your greatest need, why are you ever worrying about God providing for your secondary needs? He's provided your greatest need. Your greatest need was forgiveness, so God provided a Savior. And what that should lead you to do is proclaim the message. Not only because it's the most important thing, can I also say this? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the power of God unto salvation. Why is the message of my ministry Jesus? Because there's no other power than the power of the gospel. We preach Christ. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, he says, I didn't come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. He says, for I determined, he's like, I, I, it's almost like he did the men in black thing where he erased his memory bank. That work? Verse 2. He says, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's like, are you smart? I, yeah, I kind of really only know two things. What do you know? Jesus. What else? He was crucified. Paul goes, That was my message. Now listen to what he says. I was with you, he says, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Right now you're going, I can't preach the gospel. Why? Because I'm not eloquent. I'm, I have weaknesses. I have fears. There's much trembling. Paul says, but here's the thing. Paul's speech, he says, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but when he preached Christ and him crucified, he says it was a demonstration of the spirit and of power. When you preach Christ, it's not you. You don't have the power to save people. You don't have the power to transform lives. You don't have the power to transform your own lives, but the gospel is the power of God into salvation. So anyone like you or me who's a nobody... 
I took speech therapy classes in fifth grade. Okay? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Listen, we don't need to do what Moses did and go, oh, God, I can't speak. Jeremiah, oh, Lord, I can't speak. What made you think it's about how you can speak? The power of the gospel is not the one communicating it. It's the gospel. So wherever you go, however you speak, it's the message of the cross that's the power of God into salvation so that your faith should not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. A lot of us today, our faith is resting in the wisdom of man, in my own ability, my own gifting, but it's the power of God. So here's the encouragement of Jesus in Mark 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Announce Jesus to every creature. And obviously, for the sake of time, we can't do a full breakdown of this, but if you go to Mark 5, Put that down. Go there later. A little homework. Read the story in Mark 5 about the demon-possessed man whose life was changed by Jesus. And watch this man who was once bound in a tomb, cutting himself out of his, right, out of his mind. Jesus changes his life, and he doesn't go to seminary. He, he doesn't get a position. He doesn't become a pastor. But go to Mark 5 when you get the time and read about how, listen, read about how when he got into the boat, Mark 5, 18, he who had been a demon-possessed man begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him. Jesus said, here's better. Instead of demon-possessed man, instead of coming in the boat with me, go home and tell your friends the great things that the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in, Decap in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for them. That's evangelism, guys. Well, I don't understand, I don't really, ha I, haven't, I haven't come to full grips of how um, the modern age and the signs of the times work together with the eschatology of the end days, and I don't know if I'm an amillennialist, premillennialist, postmillennialist, okay, I'm a millennial, but I don't know, you know, all right, I don't have it all figured out. That's not our message. Our message is, I was blind, but here's all that God has done for me. Here's how God has had compassion on me when I expected judgment from him. And I go and I tell everybody about it. Because, listen, number two is our ministry also, write this down, has a message. Or, sorry, has a mission. A ministry with a mission. Um, Paul says, my message is Christ. I preach Christ. My ministry has a message. But the reason our ministry has a message is because our ministry has a mission. He says this, he says, him we preach, check this out, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, look at this, that we may present every man perfect in Christ, notice this, to this end, verse 29, I labor. So Paul says, the reason why I preach is not just because I have a message, I have a message, okay, like, and this, this really, I think, needs to be caught by the church. There's a lot of Christians whose ministry, they have a message, but they don't have a mission, so it's, it's really about this. It's about you hearing yourself talk. It's about winning an argument. It's not about winning a person. And so a lot of times a mission, it has, listen, a ministry, it has a message, Jesus, crucified, Jesus, crucified. The message is for a mission. Paul says, it's to this end that I labor. I don't just preach a message for the sake of hearing myself talk. The reason why we preach a message is because we have a mission. Better yet, the reason why we preach a message is because God has a mission. Christianity isn't, hmm, what is my mission, and how can we get God to, like, give his stamp of approval on it? How do I get God? That, listen, the best way to live your life is not, God, here's my mission. Can you get into it? It's this, God, what's your mission? And then be a part of that. 
it's been well said this way. God's church, Jesus' church doesn't have a mission. Jesus' mission has a church. Think about that for a second. Your life doesn't have a mission. God's mission has your life. That, that's the idea here. There's a purpose. There's a greater goal. And it's what the Bible describes as, as we describe as, the great commission. The great commission. Not just to preach. Yeah, preach. But so that you can reach. That's why we preach. Uh, Jesus, at the end of his life, says to his disciples, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is called discipleship. Again, it's one of those Christian words that we sprinkle on everything. Like, oh, we did a Bible study. Discipleship. Now, it's okay. But Jesus had something in mind when he was talking about this. He had a vision. He said, all the whole world... He had a group of men that he had reached, preached the gospel to them. They had been reached at this point, converted. And now he's sending them out to go into all the world and to, he says, baptize. That's the idea of reaching someone to Christ. And baptism is an external expression of someone's inward change. So go, go, lead, go baptize people. That's a great goal for your life. I want to baptize some people in my life. I want to reach some people for Jesus. Not for my glory, for his glory. And then those people that you've reached, train them. Paul says, the end of preaching for me is not just to make a convert, it's to make a disciple. So Paul says, the, and I love this, he goes, this is my purpose in life. Not just to go, okay, pray this prayer, we good? All right, have a good day. You're saved, all right, bye. Like, the last thing we want to do is lead anybody into any sense of false assurance, certainly. We want to make sure people understand the gospel, the good news of God. As you hear, you place faith and trust in Jesus and you repent. Faith and repentance, you turn from your sin, you turn to Jesus as your Savior. Saving faith. But I reach to disciple, to train. This is what Paul says. This is what I did. And, uh, you know, Jesus knew what he was doing, right? I mean, if you think about it, if G all Jesus did was just like a mass evangelism crusade and never infused any heart to disciple people, um, we, we wouldn't be Christians today. Like, your, think about it this way. Your faith in Jesus, your relationship with God, is because of a disciple who made a disciple, who made a disciple, who made a disciple, who made a disciple, who preached the gospel, reached someone, discipled that person, and then sent them out to repeat that process. And today, you get to stand with God. Uh, I, I created um, a genius uh, artistic diagram, okay? By genius, I mean I use like PowerPoint, okay? <laughs> um, th this is the Great Commission. We're sent out to preach and proclaim the gospel. It's the power of God into salvation. This is your and I ministry here in Boca Raton. Okay, think of it this way. God wants to disciple South Florida through us. Let's, think, let's just start there. And it's preaching the gospel. It's baptizing, he says, reaching people. We preach to reach. And it's in that community of the church that people are taught, teaching. Paul says, I labor, I teach, I train. And that's the most, I think that's one of the most important parts of the Great Commission that we miss. Go into all the world. Jesus says, but the point of it is to teach people to observe all that I've commanded you. It's training. Um, and listen, that's, it's one of our core values here as a church. We want to be a church that disciples each other. And we, the way we communicate this core value of discipleship here is this. We say this, that we lead as we follow. And it's a simple idea that um, you can't take anybody where you haven't gone. Like I talk a lot about Judah and my son being terrified of the deep end. Um, Brittany threw him in the other day. It was pretty awesome. Um, how you gonna learn? But, you know, the other day too, I had to 
put him in my arms, and I had to swim, and he was clawing me and scratching me like a, a raccoon. But I had to get, come on, come to, he's so afraid. Of the, and I was like, come on, just go look. It's all right. He can swim, too. It's the weirdest thing. He's scared because he can't, he's a kid. I need to be nicer, okay? But, but he's, I'm taking, I'm able to take him to the deep end. Imagine, now, it'd be different if Evie, my two-year-old, was trying to bring Judah to the deep end. She usually does that too. Come on, do that. And she grabs him. She has this unicorn. It's like her spirit animal in a, in a pool raft. And she goes in and she pulls. Now, you would go, that's illogical to have Evie bring Judah to the deep end. Then how could we think that God's going to use our lives for, to lead people to the deep things of God if we're not trekking deep waters? We ourselves have to go. We ourselves have to follow. And here's the great news. As we follow Jesus, we're not perfect, but we can say, hey, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Jesus. I, I love this quote by Howard Hendricks. He said this. He says, you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. That's what Jesus did with the disciples. He reproduced who he was. He didn't just teach them information, but gave them inspiration by the way that he lived his life. And so we want to be a church that we experience this commission. And I pray for your life and your ministry. You see that you're called in the same way to preach the gospel. It's the power of God. The goal of preaching is to reach people for Jesus, for his kingdom. Not so we can pat ourselves on the back so that we can rejoice as heaven does over one sinner who turns to Jesus. We reach, we teach, we train, we disciple, we lead. As we follow Jesus, we lead people along to follow him as well. And then the goal is that we see that process repeated. And thank God that it was repeated over 2,000 years to the point where today we're saved. And we're walking with Jesus. This great news of the Great Commission. Write this down, number three. Paul's ministry had a, a mantra. A mantra or a motto, a big idea. Um, look what he says. He says in verse 29, To this end I labor. I labor. Now, we just saw that. That was his purpose. But notice this word labor. Um, it has to do with... Um, exerting energy to the point of exhaustion. You're like, oh, cool, my work week last week. Thanks for reminding me. To this end, I labored nine to five. Um, or you're like, it would be nice, nine to five. That's sweet, that's cute. Try like six to eight. All right. To this end, Paul's using this word. He says, this goal, and this is Paul's mantra. If you read his epistles, this is where Paul always goes back to. I labor, I exhaust myself, I spend myself, I exert all of my energy striving, he uses this word striving in the New King James. In the Greek, this word striving, it, it has to do with um, like Olympic sports. It has to, in the Greek, it's the word agonizomai. It has to do with agony. Like uh, when you've been running for four miles and you want to die, but you got one mile left and you don't have your phone, so you can't call Uber. So you're like, you're, agoni you're agonizing. You ever had to agonize physically? Paul's saying, that's my ministry. I labor, I agonize. I, it's this idea of contest and, and, and working. And, and this is, listen, guys, I mean, this is the, let me just say this, this is ministry, by the way. Like, and I, um, I was not ready for this reality. I thought I was. Like, church planning, oh, yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah I get to talk. Hey, church, you know. <laughs> um. But then you look at your life and you're like, hmm, uh, I'm kind of messy. Oh, people are messy. Oh, ministry is messy. It's a labor. 
you know, leading your child to, to know Jesus. It's a grind. It's a discipline. It's, don't get me wrong, it's a delight. There's delight in it. There's joy. But Paul's just, he's being real. He's being real about ministry. You know, church planting, it's such a popular word. I used to think of it like, yeah, church planting. You know, you think of like a logo. But like, have you ever planted something in Florida, you know? It's not like planting. It's like planting. Planting, you know? Like farming, okay? It's work. It's agonizing. And Paul's being real about it, but here's his mantra. This was Paul's mantra. Verse 29, I labor... I strive, but thanks be to God that it's according to his working which works in me mightily. We can give the Lord a hand for that good news. Aren't you thankful? The ministry that God has called you to is not a grind that you do independently apart from God one day ending up at his feet exhausted and tired. It's a grind by his grace that he does in you. He does through you. Yeah, you, you exhaust. Yeah, you max out. But the Holy Spirit is our spotter, right? He's our helper, and he's there to carry us the rest of the way, to fill us with his strength. This was Paul's mantra. He goes, man, in ministry, I would get exhausted, but, but here's the good news of Christianity. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. Um, this, is, this has always been a place that I've come back to for our church, and, and being in uncharted waters as a, as a pastor, it's like, okay, God, um, it's not what I do for you. It's what you, by your spirit, do in and through me. And let me keep that at the center. Jesus, thank you for the promise that you said in Matthew 16. Jesus said this, I will build my church. Oh, it's funny because all, all the time I'm thinking about how do we build Solus Church? Jesus is like, just shut up. You know? <laughs> he didn't say that, but it's like, it's my working in you. It's a mantra. Uh, I, I love this Zechariah 4, 6, this mantra of not by might, right? Not by power, but by my spirit. This is what we're after. Uh, we don't want we, we to settle for what our efforts can do here in South Florida. We don't want to settle for what our efforts can do among us. Uh, we, we want God's efforts. We want God to do something special. We want God to bring some new wine. We want God to make us vessels that are empty, empty vessels that have this treasure, that it may be of the power of God and not of us. That's what we're after as a church, and I pray that as it's Paul's mantra, uh, it would be our mantra as well, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. And then lastly, I'll invite the worship band to come back up as we close out with this last idea of number four. Paul's ministry, write this down, had a motive. So we got a vision for what it looks like. It's a message that we're called to proclaim. It's a mission to make disciples, to, to preach, reach, teach, and see that repeated. It's a message. It's a mission. We, we looked at this idea of this mantra. Jesus sent the, the disciples out in the power of his spirit. It's the work of his hand. But at the end of the day, um, okay, you need more than this sermon to fulfill your ministry. You, you need a motive. You, you need a motivation. You, you need something that will get you out of bed at 6 a.m. to go be a, ministry, a missionary in your workplace when you were up all night the night before, when you're exhausted. You need something to motivate you that's not a person. It's not just a one message. It's not just one thing. 
when you're plowing and you're sowing, but you're not seeing any fruit, come on, when you're growing weary, what is going to be the thing that motivates my heart to not grow weary in doing good in my ministry? When I'm at my school and I'm a, min- I'm a missionary there, but I'm the only one, and everyone thinks I'm weird and, uh, you know, non-progressive and undeveloped and mentally in the past, and I'm alone, and no one seems to respond to the, the gospel I'm proclaiming. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, for as many have not seen my face in the flesh. It's amazing that Paul has never seen this church, never met them face to face, doesn't know them from Adam. But he goes, isn't this amazing? Look at the love of Paul. He goes, even though I've never seen you, isn't it incredible that Paul goes, your conflict, we're going to get into this stuff next week, the issues in that church, your struggle, your burden, Paul's looking at somebody he's never met, this person, this church, he goes, it's my conflict. He goes, I want you to know how great a conflict I have for you who I've never met. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, a little secret about where he gets this kind of motive from in ministry. He says this, he says, the love of Christ compels me. Paul says, the motivation for my ministry, the the thing that would get me up in the morning, the thing that puts my feet on the ground with purpose, the thing that gets me into my workplace, again, as a a person who represents and loves God, the thing that's going to get me to to continue to serve and love my children and raise them in the ways of the Lord when it's really hard, the thing that's going to get me to the place to where I see a person walking on the side of the street and I don't even know them, but my heart breaks for them if they don't know God. The miracle of that happening, Paul says, it's through the compelling motivation of the love of God. To know the love of God which passes knowledge, he says. To be so in proximity to relationship with God. To be so in relationship and intimacy with God that his love that is for you, it fills your heart, it's poured out in your heart, and it compels everything you do back for him. You see, we talk a lot about the Great Commission, but... You know what the Great Commission looks like? The Great Commission looks like the Great Commandment, which is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor, who I maybe have never even met, but I will maybe now, as myself. Where does love, where does love like, maybe you go, I want to love God. I want to love people. I want this kind of motive for my ministry. Listen, there's, there's nowhere else that you can find it except for that central place where God's love is demonstrated, where Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The love of God. So why don't we stand to our feet? And as we close out, let's sing this song, reminding the Lord who he is and reminding ourselves that our God is a cornerstone for us. And he's a God that wants to motivate, reinvigorate, And then even today, recommission us to be those that are going out loving in his name. Let's let's worship.